Coming up on the best of Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival, we catch up with Hayley Leary from the Malaysia Warriors. Amy Catterall, coach of the Williamstown VFLW side. Captain of the Geelong VFLW Cats, Beck Goring. The first Friday in February documentary maker, Kirby Fenwick. And from the AFL Germany Women's Competition, Lisa Wilson. That's all coming up here on RSN Carnival. I'm Peter Holden and welcome to the first episode in our series of the best of Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival for 2018. This best of series will be heard right throughout October, November and December on RSN Carnival, Digital Radio in Melbourne, the RSN Racing and Sport app and via rsn.net.au Wednesday evenings from 6pm. And then this program is available as a podcast Thursday lunchtimes by going to SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts and searching for Women's Australian Rules Football. Can you believe it? They're now playing women's footy in Asia. We've got sides in Cambodia, Vietnam, Hong Kong, and with our next guest in Malaysia. We speak to Hayley Leary, who helped start up the Malaysian Warriors women's side, who took part in the AFL Asia Championships in October. Here's our interview with Hayley going right back to January. This was from episode three. Well, it started back during last year. We had um, a post from AFL Asia just asking for more teams to come on board. At that point, there was only Cambodia and Vietnam, and I was sort of at work. I saw the message, and I thought, all right, let's do this. So I sent a few messages out to a Gaelic team I was playing with and also to the Warrior Wives, to any other women that I knew in KL, basically, and said, who's interested? Let's get a team together so we can go play Cambodia. Um, And straight up, we just got feedback from everyone. Everyone was on board and then training started. It was just, it was crazy how quick it actually all took place. Yes, we saw some uh, pics on Facebook from training in August and you got something like a dozen or more for your first training session. And how many numbers do you have on the books right now? Well, currently on the books, we've got 46 women on our WhatsApp chat. So everything's run by our WhatsApp. Um, obviously, being expat community, people come and go. So um, every training session, we're at least averaging minimum sort of 12, like you said, a dozen. Through to this weekend, we had 23 women down there, which was just unbelievable. It was really exciting. Now, for the women, are most of them based in Kuala Lumpur or is the surrounding areas of Malaysia coming in to Kuala Lumpur to play? At this point, majority are based in KL. We do have some players that are out in um, Johor Bahru and also um, some people that are linked through the Warriors that live in Singapore and come over as well for our main matches. Um, we've done an intra-club match last year, so we did have everyone come along for that, which was just unbelievable. It was for the Warriors' 25th anniversary um, in 2017, and it was just such an amazing day for the Warriors. So that just being around for the 25 years plus the starting of the women's team, having the odds kick there, it was a really fun day for everyone. And you're talking about expats. What's the breakdown like between uh, expats playing the game and those for either a other nations, as you said, Gaelic football, possibly the Irish taking it up, or those that are local to Malaysia? Mm-hmm. Um, so we basically had a mix. So we do have um, quite a few uh, expats that are living in the area. Um, we have locals that have come about. So we put out the, um, our poster onto an um, expat page, which then covers locals as well on Facebook. And just people finding our Facebook page on um, just on Facebook and they're coming down. So we're inviting everyone. We're really encouraging locals to get involved because it's just really nice to be involved in the whole community, not just our expat community. And for the locals taking up the game, what's their first impression of this game that we love back home? 
Well, they come down and they're a bit nervous. Everyone's nervous coming down, even just the women that have been back in Australia and sort of know the sport. It's something that obviously the last few years has just come about really big in Australia. So everyone's learning together. So that's the best thing at this stage. We're all learning together. We're all just wanting to have fun and just get together, a bit of fitness. Um, so the vibe's quite good. Um, we had a new player come this weekend and she was all nervous, but she was massive smiles the entire day. And it's just really fun and it just, bounces off everyone everyone just really enjoys it yeah yeah like I said it's unbelievable it's so exciting and what's the facilities like that you've got to work with there in Malaysia look at this stage we um there is a ground that we use um for training on weekends um we're at the moment changing over to potentially another ground which is at um, the local university um so the grounds are much better there a decent pitch um you know, always looking um, for sort of somewhere better, especially with numbers increasing, um, just to have the better ground and the facilities basically for it. So, look, it does change um, from time to time, but it all comes down to, you know, at the end of the day, um, money and sponsorship to be able to cover the costs for these grounds um, if we do want to improve the facilities that we use. And what's the thought on the playing season up there in Malaysia? As we know, if we go to the top end of Australia for Darwin with the women's competition, because of the wet season, it will actually run through the summer with uh, obviously taking the winter off. What's the idea for Malaysia, Cambodia, Vietnam? Is it to run it through the summer, the competition, or or through the winter? Um, Look, over here, we started a bit earlier this year purely because um, we wanted to do the Australia Day match over in Cambodia. so we've started a bit earlier. Generally, it would start a bit later in March. A lot of, um, because of being expat community, we try to avoid all the main holiday times. So we try to do in between those and capture a good season each go. Um, this year, we've got obviously um, AFL champs happening and KL will be, Kuala Lumpur will be hosting that in October, which is really exciting for the whole team here to have everyone come visit us here. Um, so we're probably going to train a lot more this year and really put in a lot of effort to put on a massive show for everyone that comes along. Um, but otherwise, yeah, wet season currently at the moment, but we're still out there. It was raining on the weekend and it just adds to the fun, um, especially when there's muddy pitches and lots of tackling and it's just, the women love it. It's, it's really exciting. <laughs> it's really fun to be down there. Of course, as you said, you've only just started up um, late last year and had tremendous growth. Uh, what's the plans going ahead? We know that the next International Cup is about uh, two and a half years away, coming in 2020. Um, is the idea to have mm. a, a team of Malaysian locals to play in IC 2020 in Australia or perhaps join with Cambodia and Vietnam and make an Asian team? A bit similar to what the Europeans did this year when they had the European Crusaders. Yeah, definitely. Um, that was really cool that Melbourne had the um, International Cup last year hosting that. Um, look, it's all quite new at this stage. It would be amazing if we could get to that point. Like another couple of years, you never know what could be the case. Um, we're working with AFL Asia at the moment in regards to that, trying to promote more teams even in Asia at, as such for now. Um, but with more locals that we are finding that are coming down to um, training, you just never know what could happen in the future. And definitely, um, we could add it as a goal for us to try aim for that. Um, everything, yeah, everything's out there for us to try, so why not? As everyone knows for back here in Australia, particularly at grassroots footy, it's always tough to raise the money to get the jumpers, to get your equipment, etc. What's it been like in Malaysia trying to be able to get those resources so you can get your footy jumpers, so you can get up-to-date footballs instead of something that might be patchy or, you know, well past its use-by date that, you know, someone just found in their bag? 
Yeah, definitely. Look, we've been lucky because we've obviously joined on with Malaysian Warriors. Um, they've been around now for 25 years, so they've got um, a good sounding um, sponsorship um, situation here in KL. Um, obviously, always looking for more people to help out, especially with us um, joining on, the Warrior Women joining on to them. Um, a lot of the time, we are expats majority, and we do consider the locals that do get involved, and obviously money is always difficult for them, especially with this tour. Um, we're not taking as many locals with us that we would like to, because it all does come down to cost and people actually having to cover themselves. Um, so sponsorship is going to be one of the big things we really look at. Um, we've got kits. We had tribal sports that jumped on board with AFL Asia. Um, they shouted out to us and have got involved, and David Lake at Tribal Sports has helped us out. Um, by organising kits for us and um, we've obviously contributed with that as well. This is really nice to have someone to assist us and kind of show us the direction on how we need to go to be an actual decent sheet um, team and show up to Cambodia looking the part. So, um, yeah, massive shout-out to David Lake at Travel Sports. He was really helpful. Uh, for yourself and the expats playing in the team, um, how many did play the game back home or is just about everyone a newbie just inspired by the new AFL women's competition? Yeah, generally looking at the numbers, everyone's pretty much been newbies. Like, There's obviously been background playing um, growing up and things like that with brothers and other family members. Um, but as for actual playing, yeah, we're all new at this and that's why we've pretty much put it out there to the whole KL community. We're all learning together. Let's all get on board, just have some fun and um, see what we can do. In saying that, we've found some amazing players, um, like women that have come. We've got, like we were saying before, that come from all over the place. We've got nine different countries representing here in Malaysia for our team. So we've got Australia, New Zealand, America, Canadians, people from UK, Scotland, Ireland, Iran, Philippines, and then our Malaysians as well. So it's a really diverse team. We're meeting so many amazing women. Um, and everyone comes from a different background but brings so much to the team and that's what's really, what I'm finding really important and really um, positive about our team. And how much is known of your Cambodian opponents that you'll be taking on this Saturday? Look, back in 2016, we went over, um, my husband plays with the Malaysian Warriors and we went over to Champs in Vietnam. And they were hosting um, the first ever AFL Asia Women's Game. And it was just like an exhibition match. And myself and also the co-founder, Tori, um, jumped on board and we joined in one of those teams and we played over there. Um, we met another girl called Hannah, who is the captain for the Cambodian Atlas, who we're going to play against this weekend. Um, and so since then, she was um, a big part in helping us get our teams um, going as well. We contacted her and said, we need some help. We're really keen to play you guys, but any advice that you can give us? And she put us on to um, their coach, Peter, who has been a massive support um, in just giving us little tips on just what had worked for them, what didn't, and how to go forward from there. So um, we do know the team. I went over in September as well with my husband um, just to meet up with them and try plan a little bit more. And um, yeah, they're just amazing team. They're really looking forward to having us over. And it's, it's more like a friendly match, really, than um, rivals. So um, it's going to be lots of fun um, on the pitch and then also our off-field um, adventures in the evening as well. It's going to be good. Now, the game is going to be played in Pyongyang. So for those Aussie expats or tourists that might be over there at the moment, uh, when and where can they catch the match this Saturday? Yeah, so it's going to be played at the international school. Um, I would need to confirm exactly the location. Um, but in Phnom Penh, um, it's going to start from 
this Saturday, the 20th of January. Um, details I'll have to give you exactly, but it's at one of the international schools. But just keep an eye on the uh, Malaysian Warrior Women uh, Facebook page and they'll uh, give you all the details. And, yeah, definitely. And, if uh, anyone wants to follow us, we're on, yeah, we're on Facebook and Instagram. Excellent. And just quickly before I let you go, um, any other games locked in at this stage or at least proposed uh, for, uh, for the upcoming months? Um, look, we're trying to get um, Vietnam on board for a potential game. They're in the process of trying to put a team together. Um, then we've obviously, the big one is going to be the end of the year um, for AFL champs. It's going to be the first time they've done a women's tournament um, tournament for champs. So everyone's really excited. We're going to promote, promote, promote to try and encourage more countries, Asian countries, to get involved. Um, but at this point, we'll probably do a few more inter-club matches um, and yeah, see where we go from there and who's keen to um, come over and play. Our next featured interview comes from episode two this year. It's with Amy Catterall, just as she was appointed as the VFLW coach for the Weemstown Seagulls. The standalone club managed to finish 11th of 13 sides in the VFLW this year with four wins and 10 losses. Here's our interview with Amy as she looked to the season ahead. Many will know you as the star of the uh, St Albans Grand Final victory over Darabin, uh, going back to 2011, <laughs> kicking uh, five in that one. Uh, how does it feel now to be hanging up the boots and now grabbing the whistle and taking over the coach's duty? Uh, it's funny. I was actually thinking about um, borrowing a whistle because we started on my day. I'm like, oh, geez, I don't even have a whistle yet. Um, it's, 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 how do I put it? It's been a great transition. I feel that it's, that time in my life where, you know, I could keep playing football, but uh, there's this great opportunity. So I just kind of, as you would put it, take it with both hands and run with it. Indeed. I think of uh, someone that you play with at the St Kilda Sharks, uh, Penny Kilderich. She's also made the transition as well from uh, player to uh, coaching uh, Collingwood uh, VFLW. Is that coming to a time now, I guess, for a number of women, whether it be their late 20s or early 30s now, to sit down and go, can I make AFLW? And if I... If I can't, do I now look at the coaching route? Yeah, well, I guess that's that's a very good point. And um, I guess for the older girls, as we'd put it, or I'd say more mature age ladies, um, <laughs> for me, it's, it's more my injuries have taken over and I've gone, oh, well, there's, there's no point in me keep going. And I guess with AFLW, it wasn't really a big big factor for me. It was more still playing with my friends. Um and I would suggest that, you know, a lot of girls that are uh, ageing or maturing, um, they would definitely be thinking about some sort of transition to off-field. And uh, I guess I'm lucky that I had this opportunity before it started flooding the market with all the mature age players. So um, I, I kind of took that into account um, before trying to put the boots back on this year. Can you take us through the process of being hired at Williamstown? What they were asking of you before, obviously, uh, giving you the keys to the brand new team. Uh, what did they ask of me? I guess it was uh, we kind of in- interviewed each other. To be honest, um, they wanted uh, a great club culture. Um, they wanted girls who wanted to play football, and they wanted a brand. You know, they wanted a team who will. Uh, support the values that Williamstown Club hold and for me that's really important um, that my main focus is creating good club culture because it is a brand new team and you, you could you could argue that the VFL league is pretty much brand new now um, and we're pretty much starting from scratch so um, for, for me it was the, the culture that uh, that ticked the box for me and I'm, I feel really privileged to be able to 
start that for them and um, hopefully that continues on from, from this point. In, in theory, you're similar to Darabin being a, a standalone club. You're not AFLW aligned. Do you find that maybe a little bit harder to get recruits, as in some might be trying to go to Geelong or Melbourne Uni with North Melbourne, for example, so they can try and get under the nose of the prospective coaches for the uh, AFLW season and hope they get noticed that way? Yeah, well, that's, that was definitely um, a factor um, in the recruiting phase. I guess I'm lucky enough that I've played football for a long time. So, you know, I know a lot of the girls already. Um, I know a lot of the girls that I guess you could say have always been maybe looked over where they're, they're excellent players, they're excellent people, um, and they've just been overlooked just for whatever for whatever reason. Um, and I snuck in there and got them pretty quickly because I believe that, you know, I, I wanted to have a good good core group of leaders that will help transition the younger girls um, through their playing careers. Uh, do we know when the deadline is for you to have players signed by? Uh, for example, is there the possibility that come the end of the AFLW season, which is around mid to late March, that you're able to pick up a handful of players that may be delisted from AFLW clubs at the end of that season that are looking elsewhere for new opportunities? So uh, as far as I know, it's the end of March is when all the DFL teams have to send in their list. Um, and I believe that through the season, you can make 10 changes. I deliberately haven't really been um, trying to recruit uh, deliberately or picking up AFL girls only because I don't want any disruptions within my team. So, you know, with AFL girls, you're going to have to manage them and they can only play a certain amount of games where I'm really trying to keep it nice and steady um, and trying to keep the cohesion really, really tight. Talking about cohesion, you've picked up a, a number of players that you've played with over the journey. We talk about um, recent St Kilda Shark footballers, Georgia Harris, for example, uh, Sarah Chapman, Rachel Champong, a uh, player that you played with at the Spurs and the Sharks. Uh, Melissa Ashman has also joined you in the coaching ranges. Yeah, well, like I said, I'm pretty lucky that I've, I've played footy for a while and um, I noticed these uh, leaders, as, as you could say, um, and I thought why not? Like I'm in a position to um, snag a few really, I guess, really strong female presence in women's football, especially um, getting Melissa on board for the coaching staff. I think it's really important to try and promote uh, female coaches within the um, women's league as much as possible. So I saw an opportunity there and I snagged it. Uh, and, you know, it's no secret that I recruited a lot of uh, St. Kilda Sharks who I played, uh, who I played with last year. Uh, and that's mainly because I believe that having some sort of Girls that knew each other will help with uh, the bonding with the other girls. So instead of having a whole bunch of new new people that no one, no one knows each other, I've got a core group of girls who know each other who then are really good leaders and who are really inclusive. So that would make the transition um, for the bonding stage hopefully very easy for me. Now, we know that um, at men's level, there's obviously a, uh, a tight knit between uh, Williamstown Seagulls men's and the Western Jets on the TAC Cup. Are we going to see that synergy happen with the women's? Uh, definitely. Um, I, as, as the, I think the ruling, we have to pick up five um, TAC girls and they're all coming from the Western Jets for me. And um, I think, you know, situation might be that I might even recruit more than my five because... Um, I, 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 you know, I've been down there. I've already spoken with the girls, and I see some really, really good talent. So, um, for me, it's about improving the female football in the West, um, and you know, 
I think it's going to be really good having my core group of older girls and the younger girls coming through. You've had a talent ID day as well. Um, how many numbers showed up for that? And uh, what did you think of the standard that was uh, trying out, wanting to try their hand at VFLW? I tell you what, that was probably a really, really hard thing to do. Um, I know people probably don't understand the background of it, but it's um, we had over 200 applicants. And, you know, I had to cut that down to 70. And, and the only way to do that is by looking at a piece of paper and reading what people worry about themselves. So, you know, for me, that was a really uncomfortable um, situation because I like to think that everyone can have a chance at doing something that they want to do. But unfortunately, that was, that was the way it was working. So um, I had to pick 70. Um, and so 70 attended the, the tryouts. And, you know, I, I was lucky enough to watch all these all these 70 girls um, go through our trials and, uh, you know, my trials were a little bit different to most. And, um, you know, from there we picked our list and uh, we start training this Monday. I guess that's the new way that we have to look at VFLW, isn't it, for the coaches, that you now have to be ruthless. As in, for example, last year you were at the St Kilda Sharks. Anyone that walks through the door essentially gets a game. And we're not talking at VFLW level. If you're not good enough, obviously you play seconds or thirds or the case of Seaford and Melbourne Uni, you play fourths. I guess that's harder now that you now have to have that steely resolve of you've got to tell some girls, we like you, you're great, but sorry. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I think that's probably one of the hardest things as a coach. You know, you've got to look someone in the eye and go, hey, I know that you love playing football, but you can't play here this week or, you know, you don't make this team. And um, I find that a lot harder than maybe even losing a game. I find looking at someone in the eyes and watching the disappointment. But, you know, that is the evolution of women's football now. And, you know, we've got to try our best to make sure that the girls still feel supported in their journey. The Western Region Football League will stand alone as a women's competition this year. Last year, they were uh, tied in with the EDFL. Are you going to see, uh, I guess, yourself uh, at more of those clubs, not only just obviously a match day looking for talent, but talking to those clubs, hoping for some of that backyard talent to come through, not necessarily this year, but for 2019 going forward? Yeah, definitely. I've already made contact and um, people have already contacted me within the Western region. I think it's I think it's really, really important that we all kind of communicate because it's not about who's better than who. It's about what what can we do for these girls and, you know, what path, pathway can we put them on to make them, you know, better footballers. So um, my, I guess my job um, would definitely be making sure that the connection between Williamstown and the Western region is very strong. And finally, just before we let you go, um, how difficult is it as a coach coming in to prepare for this season, knowing that bar, say, Box Hill and Geelong, all the other sides, including Darabin, who are going to lose some of their superstars, no doubt, are going to be completely different to what was out there on the park last year in VFLW? Yeah, like I said earlier, it's, I'm pretty much a brand new league, and I guess it's kind of good because we're all kind of will be sucking each other out through the season, and um, we only play each other once except for um, we play uh, the Western Bulldogs twice. So, I mean, every time we play someone, it's our one and only chance. So everyone's going to be in the same boat because no one knows what we're going to be like. You know, and AFL clubs change their AFL W girls in the team, you know, every week. So I think every game that's played is going to be very different. So it's going to be a unique kind of year. The Geelong Cats, what a year for them in the VFLW. As we know, they were preparing for the main game, entering a side in the AFL women's competition for 2019, but they were looking to head into the AFLW with a bit of success. They just missed out on the finals in 2017, but they made a heck of a run in 2018, finishing in the top four. 
winning their elimination semi-final, then winning the preliminary final, and unfortunately just coming up a bit short in the grand final at what we now know as Marvel Stadium. Earlier in the year, I caught up with Captain Beck Goring. I'm going to step back in time a bit to uh, the beginning of the 2017 VFL women's season. As a player that's crossed over from Melbourne Uni to join the new Geelong Cats, what did it mean to you personally when you were voted in as captain? Oh, it was, I was so surprised, to be honest. Um, yeah, it seems like a while ago now, um, having played the whole season with Geelong. But, um, yeah, I sort of started down at Geelong at halfway through their pre-season last year. And, um, yeah, I couldn't believe it when the girls voted me in. It was a huge privilege. And, you know, I was just finding my feet in a new club and um, in a new team. And I guess everyone was in the same boat in some capacity. But, um, yeah, I was just stoked to take on the role and sort of develop that aspect of my game. Is it a bit tougher to become a captain of a new side as opposed to, I guess, with teams that have been around for a while, it's almost like a passing on of the baton. The previous captain was still there and the old captain would have at least watched what the captain before did. Is it harder being the one that has to make the first pathway, so to speak? Um, I think it's probably not necessarily harder, but um, I, I'd consider it pretty fortunate in that, you know, I have the chance to sculpt the culture in the women's team that. Um, you know, no one else, no one else has sort of started. So, like, Geelong Footy Club are great in that they've a really strong set of values that um, both the men's team and the women's team um, measure themselves by um, in all facets of the game, whether that's on field or off field. So, um, I guess as the first captain of the Geelong women's team, um, it's pretty unique in that yeah, I can sort of, you know, take build a culture that. Um, with the help of, you know, the rest of the um, the leadership team, um, you know, that's new and unique, um, but, you know, also aligned with the broader um, club values and that sort of thing. Uh, personally for you, how much did your training load change compared to being at an old VWFL club when you're at Melbourne Uni to now stepping into the AFLW environment uh, being at Geelong? Yeah, well, you would have seen the competition for female footy at just stepped up a whole notch at VFL level and at AFLW, um, which is really, really exciting. Um, and it's, it's from from the time I played at Melbourne Uni, you know, we traded, trained at a really great um, intensity there and had some really great um, resources and coaches and that sort of thing. And um, being part of Geelong has just been that, but just to an, another level. So we've just got even more resources. Um, you've seen GMHBA Stadium down there is incredible state-of-the-art recovery facilities and that sort of thing. So um, it, it's fantastic because it just gives you the opportunity to take your playing to the next level and that sort of thing. And, um, yeah, I think we'll see that across the board with all, all teams that are going to play in the VFL season um, in 2018 and then obviously the um, fastly approaching AFLW season this year. Of course, everyone wants to hope to get as high up in the ladder as they can, but were you even surprised to see that uh, at one stage, your side was only like a win or two out of possibly making the finals in your debut year. Yeah, we were pretty close. Um, it, it was a little bit disappointing, to, well, really disappointing to miss out on finals. Um, and it's something that um, we definitely have our, our sights set on for this coming season. Um, we're, we're fortunate in that the Geelong um, AFLW team that'll be doing in 2019, we've got a full year to sort of 
do our homework, do our studies and, um, you know, see what the tactics of the other teams are and um, make sure we're ready for the opposition when, when we get our chance to jump in the AFLW. Is there a different feeling around the camp this year because of that fact that Geelong now have that AFLW licence? The first training for AFLW will commence probably sometime in October. Is that is there that different feeling that, oh my goodness, if I impress in front of Paul Hood and the current coaching staff, I may get a spot on that list? Yeah, well, that that's sort of what we've all got our sights set on. Me personally, I'd love to play for Geelong in the AFLW. Um, and, you know, I, but I'm taking sort of one step at a time and that starts at VFL um, this year, just playing really good footy um, week in and week out really consistently. And um, as I said earlier, playing to the club values um, because that's how the coaches measure our performance and that's how we measure our performance and hold each hold each other to account. So, yeah, just one step at a time. Particularly in this professional environment, players now have exit interviews. For yourself, what was the review for you on 2017 and, and what things would they like to see improved in 2018? Um, just in a on, on-field sort of Just sense, in the on-field sense. Like. Um, pretty much all, all, all aspects of um, defending, really. So I'm sort of the anchor down there, down back for our... Um, for our team so you know communication is always a big big thing down back you know you can't really play as an individual um it's so much more effective to um be really connected in the way we defend so um sort of improving that aspect of my game and fitness and um agility is always a big one for me so um i've been working really hard on that in this pre-season so um ready to continue to run laps for a few more months and then um, start the season in May. Before Christmas, you had a trial day uh, similar to last year for women that want to get on a VFLW list with the Cats. Um, What was your initial impression of those that have tried out and uh, has there been any diamonds in the rough that you've managed to discover so far? Yeah, we've got a couple of little gems that have joined our squad, which which is wonderful. Um, A lot of local girls from the Geelong region, which is fantastic. Um, they've jumped over from um, netball or basketball um, and have been quite successful in those sports in their own right. Um, so, yeah, it's exciting to see what they bring to our game and um, what they bring to our team. Um, I could name a few of them, but I, I don't want to pick too many favourites just yet um, because we've, we've got some list management coming up, um, which is just part of um, how it goes. But um, yeah, exciting, exciting things happening down in Geelong region, and yeah, it's really good. I've had a look at the fixture, and in the midst of a cold winter in July, you're to jump on a plane and head up to Darwin to take on the Northern Territory. What's your thoughts on uh, heading up north to play some VFLW football? I am so pumped. That'll be an awesome game. It'll be an absolute relief getting in that hot weather. Um, it's an awesome opportunity. I was. I was so stoked to um, read that when the fixture came out. I think it's so good for VFL footy and women's footy and like it's it's everything. It's so so cool. It'll be good to have a break from this horrid winter Victorian weather. I'm very much a summer person, so I'm looking forward to that game. That's definitely highlighted in the diary. 
And also on the fixture, it's shown as well that you will be playing a few double headers. I think maybe one with an AFL game, but at least a couple with the VFL men's. Uh, you will be playing on GMHBA Stadium, and I think even one under lights. Um, what does that mean for the group to be, I guess, in a way, upgraded from being outside in St Mary's Oval now to being on the main stadium? Yeah, I think for for our um, Geelong VFL women's team, it just shows that the club are backing us and um, that they they just see it. You know, you wear, you wear the hoops, you wear the jumper, and it's no different to the men. So um, being on the sort of centre stage, I guess you could say, um, it means a lot to us and it shows that the club support us and, um, you know, we'll, we'll play our best footy on that game, as we will um, in every other round. But... Um, yeah, that'll be a really special night for the club and for the girls. Um, we played our first game there last season, which was like the vibe there was fantastic. So that, that'll definitely be a highlight um, from this approaching season. And just before I go, coming up in round one of uh, AFLW, it's Melbourne and the Giants at Casey Fields. Now, the Melbourne side, you've got uh, obviously uh, Lily Mithin, Rochelle Cranston, uh, Erin Hoare, Anna Teague, a number of Geelong players. But you've also got Maddie Boyd playing at GWS. Where are your loyalties going to lie in this game? Oh, we're just, we'll cheer them all on. I think it's <laughs> such a big win that those girls are getting that opportunity to um, play play that, that standard of footy. So, yeah, we'll um, probably all have their badges um, decorated all over our um, clothing. So that'll be good. I'm um, to watch those girls tear it up. And one last one before we go, Beck. Of course, uh, many may not know that you're a singer-songwriter, uh, particularly been studying at the VCA. And you've got a couple of tracks up as well on the uh, uh, Triple J uh, Unearth site. Can you tell us about that? Uh, yeah, they're, they're up there. So I've got a single that I released last year called Weekend. So that's up on SoundCloud and I'm pretty sure, yeah, it's up on Triple J on Earth as well. If anyone, anyone wants to have a listen, they're more than welcome. But um, yeah, hitting the studio soon. So going to have some new music to release, um, probably just at the end of pre-season, um, if that speaks a little bit more um, to the people out there. Back in episode five, we caught up with audio documentary maker Kirby Fenwick. Now, Kirby had written for the former website, Girls Play Footy. She was published in the Women's Footy Almanac later on in the year. And the great thing is her documentary, The First Friday in February, was just awarded the 2018 Oral History Victoria Award. What a fantastic effort. In fact, the documentary is still online at firstfridayinfebruary.com. That's all one word first Friday in February.com. Let's take a journey back to earlier in the year when we talked about how the documentary came about. It's quite an involved story, actually. It, I, I think the seeds for this project were sown in January last year before the season even started. I was reading Play On, The Hidden History of Women's Australian Rules Football, which uh, was written by Brunette Linkich and Rob Hess. And I was really struck by how much of the history of, of women's football I just didn't know. Um, you know, all these stories about these games in 1915 in Perth and in 1918 in Ballarat and the stories about um, a Footscray women's team in the 50s that was coached by Charlie Sutton and, and Teddy Whitten. All this history that I had no idea about. And then after the season, I was put in contact with Brunette by a mutual friend of ours, and it was just through email conversations with her 
that the idea about recording that first game in in some way sort of came up and and I sort of struck on this idea of the oral history of capturing the stories of, of women who were there and 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 we went from there and here we are a few months down the track with an with an audio documentary. So yeah, it's it's exciting. It's been a really it's been a really wonderful process and, and probably one of the best experiences of, of my life to be honest. Now, we know for the Girls Play Footy website, you did a series where you talked about being in the crowd and what each experience was for the Doggies games. We know Carlton Collingwood was a lockout. Were you one of the 25,000 that got in? I absolutely was. I was there probably a good hour before the game started, maybe even a little bit more. Um, There was no way I was going to miss that game. And that experience being inside the ground, I mean, I know you've, you've obviously spoken to a lot of women, we'll touch on that in a moment, but for yourself personally, could you sense that something was happening an hour away from the first bounce, that this was going to be a lockout, this was going to be something very special? I don't think I had any idea that it would be a lockout. I I felt like I knew it was something special. I knew it was a really significant night for a lot of reasons. Uh, for me personally, in a broader a broader context for the community and for, for football, I had no idea it was going to be a lockout. I had a feeling that it would be popular. You know, we had the venue change from Olympic Park to Icon Park. There were thousands and thousands of people that had tipped, yes, I'm going on, on the Facebook event. And so I, I guess I had a feeling that it was it was going to be um, something special, but I had no idea that the gates would be locked and we would have a packed stadium and thousands of people waiting outside. I, I, I had no idea that was going to happen, but it did. And it was, I think it really, it made it more, you know, it made it so much bigger and more significant and has built this real, this real legend around this game now. Now, obviously, the interviews for your audio documentary were not recorded on the night. It was obviously quite some time later. So how did that come about, the process of trying to find those that not only went to the game, uh, but also that they're able to recall in vivid memory what happened that night? Yeah, I put a call out just on, on Twitter and Facebook and reached out to a few a few people that um, that I thought would make for interesting uh, storytellers for the project. And I was really inundated with interest. Um, so many women wanted to talk about that night. And I, I think that really speaks to the significance of it and what it meant uh, for the women that were there. So, yeah, that's that's how it came about. And then over the course of a few months, towards the end of last year, I, I ended up doing 40 interviews. And uh, it it was just such a wonderful experience chatting to these women about that game and about football and and their relationship with football and I I, th- I could have continued doing the interviews for the rest of time but I had to stop at some point so I could actually start putting these stories together. I'm interested to know as well. Uh, I don't know if you asked that question, but do you know what the breakdown was of? out of those 40 women of those who supported Carlton, those who supported Collingwood, and those that were just general neutral supporters that wanted to be there for the occasion? It's probably, excuse me, it's probably about half-half. Um, maybe maybe sort of swinging more to the neutral supporter. There were definitely, I definitely did chat to a couple of Carlton and Collingwood supporters, but I think even for them, they 
they felt like it was bigger. You know, it was it was more than just Carlton and Collingwood. It was it was bigger than just those two teams. Uh, but most, I think most of the women that I spoke to, yeah, were, were probably more in the neutral category, uh, not not barraging for either team, just barraging for footy. And with that, um, did they describe, were they just going along as themselves? Were, did we see many going along with partners? Was it more families that were going along to this game and talking about the experience of wanting to share it with their sons or daughters? There was kind of a mix. and And... What I got from speaking to the women and from my own sort of experience of being there, that the crowd was, it wasn't really a diverse crowd. I mean, we know that, um, you know, AFL crowds in general, so AFL M games are, are pretty evenly split between, um, between men and women. But there, there were definitely more women in this crowd. And that, that's something that's backed up by, by the women that I spoke to. They felt like there was, a lot more women in the crowd and a lot more families and kids. And there was a, just a real feeling of inclusivity in that crowd. It, it felt really welcoming and open. And that's something that came through in the interviews, absolutely. A lot of women felt that um, there was just something special about that crowd. You're listening to the best of Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. I'm Peter Holden. Thanks for your company. Lisa Wilson, a star player with the Wimbledon Hawks in the AFL London Women's League. She represented her country with the GB Swans at the AFL International Cup last year in Melbourne. And this year, she found herself in Germany, starting her life out there and also trying to start the AFL Germany women's competition. It proved to be a roaring success. In fact, a German national team competed in the nine-a-side AFL Euro Cup in the middle of October and ended up coming fifth out of nine sides on debut. What a tremendous effort. We caught up with Lisa going back to episode six and we asked her how the idea of her being in Germany came to be and starting up the AFL Germany women's competition. Why on earth are we speaking to you from Germany? What are you doing there? Well, actually, um, I found myself in a, an AFL Europe relations after meeting a player on the German Eagles team um, just over a year and a half ago. Um, I moved over here to be with him, and so I'm now setting up women's foot, footy over here. I've heard a rumour that uh, you're going through a six-week crash course in learning the German language. Oh, yeah. No, I completed a, a four-week course before Christmas, and now it's... Uh, yeah, all things go, learn, trying to learn it as quickly as I can. Um, but yeah, <laughs> it's, it's quite it's quite different. Now, when we spoke to you last year uh, when you were taking on your new role at AFL Europe as being a, a women's development manager, you talk about wanting to spread the game past the UK and through the European continent. You're now set up with AFL Germany. What's the early work been like to get women's football up and going in Germany? Well, the good thing about trying to grow it here is that they've got a really well-structured men's league. So um, last year there was eight teams, but they've just merged two of the teams that were um, in the same area in Stuttgart. So there's now seven teams. Um, but they're really uh, strongly based, and so they will run, um, they call sometimes call them lightning rounds, where two, two teams will go to one um, home ground and they'll play each other in sort of a mini-tournament. And so that's a really nice setup to be able to run some women's ex- exhibition games. So 
Um, what we've started doing really is we've just had a couple of girls been going down to sessions here in Hamburg, um, Berlin, Frankfurt, um, and this new Woodenberg giant team in, in Stuttgart. And um, what we will do is as soon as the men's pictures have been fully released, we're going to schedule in some exhibition games at the same time as those those men's um, fixtures um, to, and try and get all the girls in Germany to come and play in those exhibition games so that next year we can hopefully uh, fit in either a three or four team official women's league alongside those men's um, teams. Excellent to hear. And out of those cities that are starting to uh, sow the seeds of a women's competition, where are you finding the most interest coming from? Um, well, uh, we've had a couple of girls in Berlin contact us. Um, one is uh, a Australian girl who um, has, is recently, well, in March, she's moving over from Queensland, and I believe she played um, in an under-21 Queensland team. So she's actually of a very high quality, which is awesome. Um, and there's another girl who um, is also from Australia, and she's just spent a year playing in America. So really interesting backgrounds there. Um, but we've actually had a group of um, German girls um, starting in Stuttgart because one of the girls um, has been in Australia, brought an Australian boy back with her, and so he's gone down to the club, so she's joined him. So it's great to have that core of sort of native girls um, playing as well, as well as a combination of um, the expat Aussies. Um, so, yeah, it's some strong... What what's, um, I'm always more keen to have is those girls that want to be leaders and then grow the team themselves. And we've already got some of those established, which is which is amazing. And what would you say the rough estimates are with numbers uh, across the whole competition of, of women that have signed up and taken interest early? Uh, we did a bit of a, a look. We're only sort of sitting between 20 and 30 at the moment um, with a handful in each of these cities. But... It's something that I'm sure you've understood from talking to everyone and just seeing it in Australia that it's really exponential. So if every one of those girls brings their sister or a friend or their flatmate, then those numbers rocket. And it's really early in the year. I mean, we're still sitting around one to five degrees in uh, in Germany. So once it starts getting a bit warmer, that's when we'll get more people down. Um, and yeah, I mean, 20, 20 to 30 is more than zero that there has been. So um uh, yeah, um, it's really promising sites. And what sports are you seeing them mostly cross over from? Uh, is it a, a typically a soccer background that these women are coming from? Well, this is what's absolutely amazing about uh, Germany and what I found out is that they play everything here um, and everybody is super sporty, um, especially from like a younger age. Um, and the biggest uh, sport that, I, that I've seen here in Hamburg is... Um, is handball. There's lots of um, uh, handball teams. So I've joined a handball, a handball team with the um, ideas of infiltrating and maybe bringing some of their players over to um, uh, Aussie football because their seasons are different. So the handball season's the, the winter here and ours is obviously summer here because it's too cold in the winter. Um, and yeah, it'd be great to get some handball players on, on board because they use quite a lot of body contact. Um, and the, yeah, the super super strong girls and really fit so that'd be uh, great to get some of those over um and then uh, yeah uh, as always the soccer background is quite a popular one and what tactics have you been using to try and get the marketing of the competition the word out there that these women's teams now exist well it's really early stages so at the moment it's mainly um word of mouth so 
what's great is that a lot of the guys at the teams in, in the in the league at the moment are really enthusiastic about getting women on board. So a lot of uh, the interest comes from girlfriends of those players um, or flatmates. Um, and that, I've always found that to be the most important thing when growing the sport over here in, in Europe is that if you've got the backing of the guys, they get really on board and that's what helps you strong cause, <clears throat> get strong because you have that community between the men and the women. So at the moment, it's mainly been using that word of mouth um, and uh, on social media. But as soon as the uh, fixtures are fully released, we'll be looking at doing some taster sessions at these different cities and then contacting those those sport groups, so the handball teams, universities, um, and any soccer teams, and then trying to, to push push growth through these taster sessions. Um, so that's a bit of the plan, really. Coming up in April, it is the uh, AFL European Champions League. Uh, again in Amsterdam, and this time you're going to send the Hamburg Dockers on. <laughs> so I'm uh, anyone who'll know me will know I'm very ambitious when it comes to uh, setting up teams. So really, it's, when you when you set something up, you always want to have goals that you're striving for. So I spoke to well, obviously I'm part of AFL Europe. But I spoke to to Ryan, um, the general manager, and asked whether we could put a uh, Germany women's team in because it would be great to show that Germany are are going to be a you know a new contender. So um, we've got another three months or so to uh, keep recruiting, but we've already nearly got a full team from from girls that are interested. And one of the awesome things about being based in Germany is that you have so many countries that you border. So Amsterdam for us isn't that far away. Um, uh, so uh, it's a great goal for us to have to go show that Germany are, are playing football and it will be paving the way, hopefully, towards the, the Euro Cup um, in October. And if I'm correct, the Euro Cup is being held in Germany this year. Unfortunately, um, the, that had to be withdrawn and we're just waiting a release of where the, the new location will be. So that would have been great, but um, unfortunately that didn't quite pan out as we would hope. Unfortunate to hear, but cross fingers, it can happen again in the near future. What's your plan to hopefully one day, uh, just besides the Euro nice, to see a German side uh, not just make IC football, but at least take on an England or an Ireland or what, or whatever it may be in an international? Well, quite interestingly, there was actually three German players on the European Crusaders International Cup team. Um, who are all residing in Australia at the moment, and um, they are one of the girls there. Has said she's going to help with with recruitment, um, and so with, with anything, as we've seen, the, the growth is exponential. So I do have my sights on um, Euro Cup this this year in October, as as it's only a nine side tournament. Really, you need a minimum thirteen, fourteen players, which really is is should be okay to to come by. Looking at our first steps. Um, so there's nothing saying really that we can't be in the International Cup in uh, 2020. Um, but also, as I've got a good relationship with with, with GB and the uh, other other uh, countries, they have expressed interest in development games. So, as with GB, we've always been quite a core amount of you know one team, but we're growing so quickly now we've got lots more players that we want to try and develop so it'd be good to organize international games at a level where one we're growing the gb strength but two we're also showing that european community by trying to help out the other countries so fingers crossed we get some fixtures set up um 
soon and we all work closely with the other countries to hopefully grow at a grow at the same rate. And also to show that it's a glamorous life as an AFL Europe Women's Development Manager. Uh, in your spare time, you're currently riding around as a Foodora bicyclist. Oh, I am indeed. So obviously moving to Germany with a not-so-great German, I needed to find some different job options. So I started with, with food delivery, which um, is, is great. I mean, I'm getting paid to do exercise, so <laughs> you can't complain too much. Um, and I've also just started at a, a kindergarten, which um, perhaps could be my start of uh, pinching some players for Auskick if that's something I start to <laughs> in the near future. So, yeah, keeping all my options open. And also, as we spoke to earlier with Lauren Spark, it's great to see that one of your GB Swans is going to try and have a crack at making it in Australia. Alex Salter is uh, moving down to Melbourne. Yeah, no, I'm I'm so excited for her. She just wants to go over there and live and breathe footy for um for a period of time, which is which is great for us because the more we can get people learning about uh, learning from the players in Australia and bringing back here, the better. And obviously, the more publicity that we can get. So, really stoked for her, and I'm sure she'll do do an amazing job over there. She's been training so hard for it. And finally, just before we let you go, of course, for those overseas uh, via watch.afl, they can catch all the action of the AFL women's competition. Who are you tipping to take out the 2018 AFLW flag? Oh, well, I've got two two friends that play on the two teams. So, you know, I can't, um, I don't like choosing between them. Um, But I'd I'd love to see, I'd love to see the doggies get it. Um, You know, I've, when I started football, Sparky was always a big, big um, influence on me, and you know, so I'd, I'd love to see her as part of a winning team. So Sparky to win, possibly in a grand final over Carlton, where of course the baby giraffe Kate Sheilor plays <laughs> at. Oh, she's going to kill you for calling her that. <laughs> um, but that would be a fantastic final, yeah. And uh, although I think it was, um, it's amazing that Brisbane shone last year. Um, and the, uh, the grand finals up there. It would just be awesome to have the grand final down in Melbourne. I'm Peter Holden, and that concludes the first episode of the best of Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. Our best of series will air throughout November and December, Wednesday evening, 6pm Australian Eastern Daylight Savings Time on RSN Carnival, digital radio in Melbourne via the RSN Racing and Sport app and rsn.net.au and will be available the following day as a podcast from SoundCloud, Google Podcasts or Apple Podcasts Just search for Women's Australian Rules Football. I'm Peter Holden. I look forward to your company again next week. Until then, it's bye for now.